0: Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.
1: Prediction time, Courtney. What do you think? Do the Saints win tonight? Oh, <laughs> I know. I don't think so. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I know. Well, it's honest. They're my at least. guys. But yeah, no. it's honest. At least, what do you think, Ian? This is a game that I don't think anybody's giving the Saints a chance to win, and because
0: of that, I think they're going to upset a lot of people and wind up winning this game. So if you're taking Tampa at the, upset the casino, yeah. uh, don't be surprised if the Saints pull off the upset.
1: Well, first of all, if you're gambling, shame, well, not shame on you, but you ex- assume the risk, right? And you should never You remember the gambler's prayer, Lord, let me break even. I need the money. Uh, our coverage, I think the Saints win tonight. I do. And, and I think they the, the um, buy comes in at the right time. And I think they take advantage of that. And let's see what happens from there, right? Tom Brady and the Bucks, and Tampa Bay Saints taking them on tonight, Monday Night Football. Our coverage starts at 3 p.m., first take. Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Uh, Nowak rather. Then at 5 o'clock, you join Bobby Bear, Christian, and Mike Dettelier for the Bud Light Countdown to kickoff. Game time, 7-15 with Deuce and Haas. Then after the game, you can sound off with the Cajun Cannon. Until Lord knows when. Saints-Bucks primetime Monday night. Turn down your TV and sync up to the home team on WWL and always live on the free Odyssey app. Just say Google or Alexa. Play WWL. So Ian and I say the Saints are going to win. Courtney says no. Uh, Let's talk about the Republicans and taking over Congress next year with Ryan Williamson, a governance fellow at the R Street Institute. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm okay. The Republicans, how much of a chance do the Republicans have with the new Congress to put their mark on the country and to change some things?
0: Well, they certainly have a chance if they want to take it. That comes down to how they want to govern. There are you know, a number of things that they can do, whether that's opening up the legislative process, you know, engaging in meaningful oversight, you know, exercising real fiscal conservatism, if they choose to do all of those things, they can really make good policy and uh, be a be a productive Congress.
1: How would they open up the legislative process? What would that look like?
0: So traditionally, or at least in the last decade or so, the leaders from both parties have ruled with an iron fist, essentially, you know, the the big four meet behind closed doors and hammer out the details of bills and basically tell the rank and file members you get an up or down vote and that's it. But it doesn't have to be this way. Um, they can they can have an open amending process. They can, you know, allow, you know, non-leadership members to you know, make changes around the periphery to really influence policy and, and make it better, you know, get more buy-in from members and, you know, just craft greater policy.
1: How did we get here from there? Uh, you know, there's there's just a certain
0: idea that, you know, you, you just want the parties to win. Uh, and so, you know, the the leaders have basically drummed up this idea of, like, you have to trust us and if you don't, we're going to withhold your campaign funds. Um, so just let let's consolidate the power within us and um, the rank and file are just kind of they have to just live with it.
1: Even to the extent of House members perhaps supporting the party the party more than their home state.
0: <clears throat> yeah. So there's you know the it, we we live in a time of really high polarization and negative partisanship and. You know, your average voter isn't getting into the weeds on policy. They just think about, I'm a Republican, so I vote for the Republicans, or I'm a Democrat, so I vote for the Democrats. So anything they do must be good, even at the expense of, you know, their, their own district or their own state. And so when voters aren't prioritizing local issues, politicians aren't going to either.
1: So they're just, in a way, reflecting the, the people that are getting caught up in national politics and maybe voting against their own best interests?
0: Uh, absolutely.
1: Wow. Um, there was a story in, in our local paper uh, about Louisiana because of Louisiana congressional delegation now that um, – uh, um, I'm looking at him right now and I can't come up with his name. Um, uh, Steve Scalise um, has uh, assumed the leadership in Congress that he has that he's going to lose his seat on – I believe it's the Energy Committee – Louisiana has had a seat on that committee, I think, for the last hundred years, if I'm reading this right. Um, so uh, what happens there, I guess is, is do you see Louisiana perhaps suffering in their oil and gas interests not being represented as much as they could be or should be
0: uh, there there definitely is a chance to lose some of those particularized benefits, you know, without having a voice of Louisiana on the committee, obviously you know, members from other states aren't going to think, what about Louisiana? They're going to be worried about, you know, whether it's their own states or, you know, some other national interest, you know, without a Louisiana member on the committee, there's no one kind of advocating for Louisiana specifically. And so we see that on, you know, basically a number of different committees, a number of different states. Um, when when you lose that voice, you you know, there, there is the possibility to really suffer in that policy area.
1: And the one person that could take that seat is a Democrat, the one Democrat of the delegation. And there are questions as to whether or not the Republican members of the delegation would rally around him to get that seat on the committee, oil and gas oversight, or close party ranks and rather give it, I guess, to somebody from a different state. And that goes back to how we started the conversation, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, even if some members maybe want to engage in bipartisanship, there's there's no real incentive to do so. Um, if you're seen as helping the opposition in, in times of divided government, um, then that may hurt you the next time around. Um, you know, the, your base may not be as excited to vote for you. They may turn their attention to some challenger who is willing to you know, even forego the benefits of the state in order to increase the party's number within the chambers.
1: I don't see how we get out of this. I don't see the tide turning. I don't see it getting anything but worse. But if, you know, you're, you're a, um, a, a, a governance fellow, so maybe you know more than I do. Do you see a way out of this or do you see the tide turning or changing in any way?
0: It, it certainly would be nice to see the tide turning. Um, recent history doesn't suggest that we'll be there, but, um, you know, there, there are some members who have shown you can be successful in uh, kind of building your own brand. You know, I've been thinking a lot about the Alaska races re- recently, and you think about people like Lisa Murkowski who, you know, really do write try to do right by their state and they, they keep getting rewarded for it as she, she wins her fourth term. And so you don't necessarily have to, you know, purely advocate for your party all the time uh, in order to be an effective popular legislator. And I think, um, you know, a number of members have, have tried to engage in this. And, you know, if if we can see, you know, movement towards we want good policy, we're tired of the, the culture war and the infighting and the he said, she said, let's get down to the business of legislating, if we can reach a critical mass of that, then then maybe we can finally see a shift towards kind of a more functional Congress.
1: Yeah, it'd be nice if I could make five full court shots in a row like Steph Curry did, as I'm seeing on social media, but I don't think it's likely <laughs> to happen anytime soon. Let me take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about modernizing committees and more. Ryan Williamson's our guest, governance fellow at the R Street Institute. Republicans took back the House of Representatives, but what should their priorities be in the new year, and what can they accomplish? Tommy Tucker, glad you're with us, back in a flash, WWL. 9.23 and a half now on this Monday morning, December 5th. The Saints playing Monday night football against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Big game. They'll only be a, game, a half a game out of first place if they win and right in the thick of the divisional race, and that'll be a spot in the playoffs. we got all the action for you here on WWL. Our coverage starts at 3 p.m. Right now we're talking to Ryan Williamson, governance fellow at the R Street Institute. Before we get back, um, Ryan, to some of the things that the GOP maybe can accomplish, how large will, well, it's always about the next election, Let's let's face it, and how large will the specter of former President Trump Uh, be over this congress over this republican house
0: i i think it's definitely going to be something that republicans are going to have to have to deal with it's it's kind of unprecedented in modern times to have a figure like trump lingering over you know basically announcing right after the midterms and so that's that's a that's a long time Uh, between now and the next election that Republicans are going to have to think about how they want to navigate this and how they want to identify as a party. And a lot of that is going to take shape over the course of the next Congress.
1: So, again, in two years, the entire House will be up for reelection, And I don't think it's disparaging. I think he might wear the badge proudly to say that Steve Scalise has been joined at the hip to former President Trump. And I'm just wondering, for... Um, Republicans like Steve that have been uh, firm advocates of former President Trump, how does that get in the way of the Republicans accomplishing anything with them looking ahead to the next election? And if President Trump, former President Trump, is the nominee, then they certainly don't want to be at odds with him, right?
0: Absolutely. And so that you you may find some members, you know, may, maybe him in, uh, maybe – you know, having to make that additional calculation of where does this set me up in 2024? Um, should there be a President Trump? You know, if, if you, every member wants to be, you know, allied with the president of their own party, especially someone uh, like Trump who has an immensely um, strong, loyal, ardent uh, support base. Um, and so to, to deviate too far from that could. You know, if you don't suffer electorally, it could make it more difficult um, getting anything done in the chamber. And so that that added layer of complexity can make legislating uh, a little more difficult, potentially.
1: I guess I'm just wondering how much control will he exert over it? Because if it's always about the next election and House members think that he will be the nominee and they don't want to cross him, then it would seem as though he might be setting the legislative agenda. Is that going too far?
0: I, you know, it's entirely possible, but I would say we've already seen a a number of members kind of walk back from Trump. I think, you know, a lot of people may even would just rather not talk about the issue, maybe pitch to something like I'm not worried about 2024 or, you know, I'm focused on now, I'm focused on my state, I'm focused on my district, whatever they can to deflect. Um, so, so I think we may see uh, members hedge because they don't want to tackle that
1: head on. And I'm not trying to engage you in an argument, but, you know, President Trump and his techniques and he's former President Trump and his techniques. And he, I don't think he's going to let that happen. Do you?
0: Um, you, you know, as president, you have a lot of uh, authority and ability to kind of, you know, let's say motivate members of your own party. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it becomes a little easier when you're not currently holding office. And, you know, I, there's this kind of idea that, you know, your your opponents, whether they be in party or out of party, only have as much oxygen as you give them. Um, and so I think some may try to kind of, keep him from having that much authority over them by not giving it as much oxygen, if that makes sense.
1: It would have to take a unified effort, though, would it not?
0: It's It's more than one person at least. Oh, absolutely. If not unified, uh, at least a concentrated effort from a substantial portion of the party, absolutely.
1: How could the House modernize committees? Yeah, so
0: there, there's a, a few things. Um, the modernization committee specifically has made over 200 recommendations designed to improve the functioning of Congress. Not at the, not at the benefit of one party over the other, but just making the institution work and making it better for. The people, and so there, there's a lot of small things. Like, for example, to to a point we were talking about uh, a moment ago, um, new member orientation used to be divided between Democrats and Republicans. Uh, they would send them off on their own way to go learn about the job. Um, so you're immediately drawing that line between the parties now. Um, that I think with this next Congress will be the first new member orientation that. Um, Once the parties together, so they get to work together, they immediately start engaging in that that bipartisan behavior, kind of humanizing each other kind of more specifically, there's things like, you know, working on a, a committee calendar to where. You don't have a bunch of overlapping meetings, um, so members can actually come and do the committee work. And if you watch C-SPAN, like a a huge nerd like me, Mm -hmm. um, you'll come in and you'll see people show up for five minutes and then leave. There's only one or two members on a 20-person committee at once. Um, And then things like um, professionalizing staff um, so that they're better equipped to deal with the casework like say your IRS refund is wildly overdue you know you can reach out to these staff and they'll help you get that refund and just kind of make congress more effective and productive through you know making these these changes
1: around the periphery has proxy voting kind of gotten out of control
0: I I would say so there you know, it was it was designed for the right reason. You know, Congress wanted to keep functioning uh, during the pandemic um, so that they could still be productive and keep members safe. But you know, some some members have really taken advantage of that to the extreme, you know, casting proxy votes while they're, you know, at a at a donor lunch um, and in town or, you know, just not coming back from their districts because they can cast proxy votes. And instead of, you know, being in the chamber with other members, you know, getting to know each other, being responsive, trying to craft new policies, policy ideas, they're off doing something else because they can simply just cast a proxy vote instead.
1: Somebody emailed me because our text line is down, but it's an interesting question about if one of Trump's loyal supporters would make things extremely awkward by uh, nominating him for the Speaker of the House position, and maybe you can address legislatively why that would be possible, et cetera.
0: Well, so uh, you know, every every speakership election, there's every, we're all reminded that you don't have to be a member of the House in order to be the Speaker of the House, but there has never been a Speaker who wasn't a member of the House. Um, also, Donald Trump, you know, despite you know his his success as a business person and his four years as president um, has not been a legislator. Um, and legislating is an incredibly nuanced thing. You know, understanding rules, procedures, understanding the the needs of individual members within your own conference. You know, which which gears to pull, uh, which which ge- gears to turn, which levers to pull in order to get legislation across the finish line. So um, he doesn't necessarily have the skill set that would lend itself to being an effective Speaker of the House. Um, that being said, you know, every election we also see, you know, some names get thrown out. For example, in, in 2018, when Democrats retook the House, um, you know, Stacey Abrams, for example, you know, received some some votes to be the speaker of the house just for people who wanted to defy Nancy Pelosi and say, you know, I'm not going to vote for Nancy Pelosi. So I'm throwing some other name out there. Um, I think we'll see. You know, some Republicans do the same this time around, but I don't think it'll really. It's not a not a serious uh, threat to to happen.
1: Um, what about legitimate fiscal conservatism? Because a lot of people tend to blame one side for spending when, in fact, one side might be worse, but they both love to spend money.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If we know anything about the federal government, they do like to spend money. Uh, We saw really high levels of spending under the unified Republican uh, Trump and Republican Congress uh, from 2016 to 2018. Um, But when when we talk about genuine fiscal conservatism, that means not opposing spending just for the sake of spending like Republicans might be inclined to do in the House with a with a Biden presidency. Um, but that doesn't mean there aren't plenty of inefficiencies in the federal budget um, that can be curtailed you know big, make a better use of taxpayer money um, thinking about making spending efficient and effective. There are a number of things that the federal government is responsible for that You know, require funding, but providing it in set amounts at regular intervals allows, you know, budgeting and planning that can actually reduce long term costs and eliminate some need for emergency spending. And so um, there's a way to be fiscally conservative, but still make sure that, you know, important things are funded, but that taxpayer funds aren't being abused.
1: I'm not the first person to say this, but. Um, it seems as though Congress is increasingly delegating more of their power, giving it away to the president with the use of, and again, this is both sides executive orders is should they first, I think they should do something about this. Do you think they should? And do you think this Congress will? And what can they do?
0: You're, you're absolutely right that Congress has kind of ceded a lot of policy making authority to the president and, you know, each successive president has been more and more happy to fill that vacuum. Um, and so Congress should just get to the, the work of legislating. Um, you know, executive power or executive orders um, can very easily be undone by a future president. They're limited in scope, but, you know, Congress says, like, ah, that's close enough. We're willing to cede more and more power. But if, you know, they just think about the the issues that, Americans are facing whether that be rising inflation, you know, in any issue that uh, constituents care about. There's there's a way for Congress to address it, you know, pass meaningful legislation, Um, and and even if the president wants to play politics and say I'm going to veto anything that you know is a Republican-sponsored thing, like call the bluff, like show that you're doing the work. Of legislating um, and, and force the force the president to you know either get on board or potentially you know really just demonstrate that I'm I'm not here to pass serious policy. Um, so like like I so said, just the 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 roadmap is there. You know, numerous bills have been passed, but if you just sit down and you know really think about crafting the legislation that the American people need, like it, it can be done.
1: Immigration policy is one of those things that seems like nobody wants to address. They just want to criticize the other side when they're in power for not doing anything about it. Is that accurate?
0: Oh, I, I would absolutely say that's accurate. So there there are a number of issues, you know, immigration is one of them. I might even go so far as to argue most issues. It's beneficial for members to not take a position on, because uh, then you can kind of have your cake and eat it too, say, well, I would do this when it's beneficial, um, or walk back and, you know, basically just play politics instead of move policy. Um, and, you know, there's at the end of the day, most people aren't checking the congressional record and seeing what bills are coming up and how their members are voting. So the members kind of, you know, press releases, the statements, the interviews, the the Twitter clips, whatever, those, that's the how they're getting their message out. And just talking about things and talking about things that they don't like without necessarily offering a solution or exploring things that they do like has worked well for them so far so they don't really see much of an incentive to change even though it results in nothing getting
1: done. And realistically speaking, sometimes you got to wonder if they really want a solution because by criticizing the other side, that's when the money starts rolling in, right?
0: Absolutely. You know, it's it's really easy to attract donations when you're kind of in the minority because you can say like, Hey, look! You know we we need more seats. I need your help. I gotta win re-election. You gotta help me and my friends win re-election. Um, and and so that's that's kind of a, a really easy way to engage and kind of perpetuating um, you and you know your your party. And again, this is both sides just yep. perpetuating that power. And also, once you once you address an issue, you lose that drum to beat. Uh, And if you find an issue that works really well for getting those donations, offering a solution could potentially dry up the donations moving forward. So that decreases the incentive to actually do anything about it.
1: Says a lot. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your time. Have a good day. Thank you so much. Ryan Williamson, Governance Fellow at the R Street Institute. Some very interesting points there. Um